This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time. Hello, welcome to Africa Digest on Child Africa as we give you news from an African perspective. We are in Johannesburg in South Africa and you can find us on 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band if you're in Southern Africa. You can also find us on 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. My name is Spumila Lezondi. I'm with Ona Lenzinzi with Sane Matebula and Musibudi Makura. Your top stories. The political comeback of Senegal's former president described as a ploy to get his son assent to the presidency. OCHA says the security situation in the southeastern DRC is still dangerous. In economics, Egypt expects to produce 2.3 million tons of beet and cane sugar during this year's harvest. And in sports, Bafana Bafana head to Botswana ahead of Chen qualifier against the hosts. Here's on Lentinti. Thank you, Spoo. The Kenya Defense Force has rescued six Kenyans abducted by suspected Al-Shabaab militants in Lamu. The six had been abducted while on official duty in the count. The, among those who had been abducted was the principal secretary in charge of public work. Two suicide bombers have killed at least 12 people and wounded over 40 others in a small town in northern Cameroon near the Nigerian border. This after 19 people were killed in attacks by Boko Haram suicide bombers in Nigeria's Bonus State on Tuesday in the in northeastern city of Maiduguri. According to the latest UN refugee agency figures, Boko Haram attacks have killed more than 20,000 people in the Lake Chad region, including Nigeria, Cameroon, Chad and Niger in just eight years. Nigeria's military and government continue to claim that Boko Haram, which is allied to the Islamic State group, is in disarray and nearly defeated. Women in northern Uganda who have born the burnt of a 20-year war now need full access to justice and their basic rights for society to make a full recovery. Speaking at a high-level meeting on women's access to justice at UN headquarters in New York, Uganda's Chief Justice Bart Magunda Katuriebe explains that while the Constitution protects women, Parliament needed to put laws in place to make those provisions operational. We think that in the process of settling down and re-establishing peace, if you get the women to stabilize and open them channels where they can complain if they have issues with the law, then you create that avenue for stability and eventually for peace. Are there any laws to protect women now? The Constitution guarantees equality of both men and women before the law and demands that all laws and customs and traditions that work against the dignity of women are prohibited. So the challenge is to Parliament to put in place the necessary laws to operationalize the provisions of the Constitution. 
Botswana officials have confirmed that the Dalai Lama will visit the country next month and meet with President Ian Khama, a trip likely to anger China. China views the Dalai Lama as a dangerous separatist campaigning for Tibetan independence and consistently condemns foreign leaders who meet him. Botswana has repeatedly denied that the Dalai Lama denied the Dalai Lama a visa in an apparent attempt to further boost ties with China. The Chinese government has helped build coal power plants, road networks, bridges and schools in Botswana in some of its many infrastructure projects in Africa. And lastly, British Prime Minister Theresa May has acknowledged shedding a little tear when she heard the exit poll on the night of the general election last month. She told BBC it was a complete shock and she felt devastated. May lost her parliamentary majority after calling a snap election. The BBC's Alex Forsty has more. In her bid to promote strength and stability during the election, Theresa May was often accused of being repetitive and robotic. Today, she showed a more human side. The Prime Minister acknowledged the failings of a campaign that cost her her majority and described her shock at the result. Mrs May said superstition prevented her watching the exit poll personally, so her husband, Philip, had relayed the result. She admitted she shed a tear but said her sense of duty and responsibility meant there was no thought of standing down. Channel African News, I'm Onilin Sinti. Central African time. Thanks, Onele, for that update. Now, the political comeback of Senegalese President Abdullah Ward has been described by some as a ploy to get his son assent to the presidency. The 91-year-old politician returned to Senegal this week after spending years abroad following a failed attempt at securing a third term in office. He will be heading up the list of candidates for his opposition party, Senegalese Democratic Party, in the upcoming legislative elections. He is also heading up other opposition parties that are working together to obtain a majority in parliament. Wad last returned to Senegal three years ago as his son Karim Wad was to face trial for charges of corruption. Channel Africa spoke to Professor Mamadou Diouf about the significance of Wad's political comeback and whether he still has an active role to play in Senegalese politics. I think that it's not really about what he's going to offer. It is about the support needed by his followers and the members of his party. I think after he lost in 2012, followed by the arrest of his son and the arrest of many of the leaders of his party, the former ruling party was completely in disarray. But today, you know, the interesting aspect is five years after the election of Macky Sall, the country is still actually experiencing many of the problem it experienced during Wad's 12 years in power, mm-hmm. that nothing has changed. As a result, the situation is offering an opportunity to this old man who remained the most 
popular politician of Senegal till today. Now, Prof, if one party wins more than 75 seats in parliament, it will be a majority party. But some critics have claimed he may have his party uh, propose an amnesty law for his son so that he can run for president in 2019. Do you share this sentiment, Prof? Yeah, I think the whole plan is to win the legislative election, put the current president in a corner, and in 2019 allow his son to run and win. This is, this is basically his plan and the plan of his party. His party has already selected his son as their candidate for the next presidential election. So he's just following the plan they have already adopted, even a little bit before he lost power, because the idea was passing actually the baton to his son, which didn't work. Now, how much support Prof does uh, Abdullah Ward still have in Senegal? I think he still has huge support. I cannot say that he has a majority, but the disappointment of the Senegalese today and the fact that basically Makisai reproduced uh, Ward's behavior, he's really his inheritor more than Wad's son. He has done exactly everything Wad has done. Come, you know, saying something and changing his mind, having a huge corrupt entourage, and finally not actually uh, responding positively to people's demand, in particular the youth. So Wad is the kind of political magician. He's more a witch doctor, if you want. He knows exactly how to talk to the Senegalese. He masters the rhetoric, the political, the social, the religious rhetoric. And because of his generosity, he has given so much money to so many people that he still can count on those people to support him, to fight for him. And in particular right now, he's actually enjoying support from the Murids, which is one of the largest and most, uh, you know, active Muslim brotherhood in Senegal. That is Professor Mamadou Diouf, a professor of African Studies at Columbia University, on the line from Bamako in Mali, talking to Channel Africa's Kumbero Mujarare. A court recently ruled that South Africa violated its agreement with the International Criminal Court by not arresting Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir for crimes against humanity, among others, when he arrived for an AU summit in 2015. In light of this, the spotlight has been shown on the strength of the relationship between the court and the continent. The African Union, for one, has backed mass exodus by African states from the Rome Statute. This then begs the question of whether the court will still hold any clout in this part of the globe. More from political analyst Professor Dinyi Komalulek. You know, I mean, on the surface, it looks as if the International Criminal Court is uh, on the ropes, that it is under attack, that it is fighting for its survival. 
because the AU has said some very negative things about it. A few countries have threatened to pull out, ours in particular. So it looks as if, you know, this is a body that is um, fighting for its life. But the reality is, it's not really about the ICC. It's about African countries and their institutions and whether African countries are able to hold those in power accountable and whether they are able not only to prosecute, but also to give themselves a political chance for stability and for progress, for economic development. Mm. And so when the ICC ruled against South Africa, I think it was a sad day for South Africa, more than it is even for the ICC, because South Africa is a founding member of the Rome Statute. Yeah. South Africa was not only, didn't only join, but actually advocated for this court to be established uh, to pursue people who commit uh, crimes against humanity, governments who commit crimes against humanity. And you could understand why South Africa took the forefront there, because of where we come from as a country. You know, how did we as a country end up where we are? Why would we allow al-Bashir to come here and put ourselves in that position. Now, among the many um, pertinent issues that you've just highlighted now, you know, when it comes to this particular case, one of the most talked about issues is the fact that uh, why is it that uh, the African continent doesn't have an alternative to the ICC? Now, I know that um, there's been some talk about an African court of our own who would deal with issues of crimes, crimes against humanity and such. Do we have the capacity, you know, to deal with these issues by ourselves, Prof? Well, you would have to talk about, you know, the situations in different African countries. We are unevenly developed. Some countries are more capable than others. Let's take the situation of Cote d'Ivoire, for example. You'll remember that uh, around 2010-2011, the election there was contested because it was very close. The incumbent at that time, Laurent Gbagbo, who refused to leave even though he had lost, It doesn't matter that the margin seems to be small, but he refused to leave, and therefore people who support him went on a rampage, and the people who supported the other candidate went on a rampage. Now, how does the country resolve that? How does a president who is about to come in deal with that situation when the president who is about to go out is Mm -hmm. refusing uh, Mm. to leave? So in such situations, the ICC can step in Perhaps not so much that the ICC must find someone guilty, but it provides the space Mm -hmm. for a country to get a breather, to get stability, and to be able to start uh, fixing some things. And if you look at the Ivory Coast today, the ICC process against Bagbo may not be finished, but the country has made tremendous, wonderful Mm -hmm. progress economically, and uh, it has uh, retained stability because... Sometimes what, you know, we focus too much on the ICC finding someone guilty, but the ICC also helps to create the space for a country to work out its problem without the kind of conflict that we saw in Ivory Coast. Now, the power clinging that you, you speak of is not something which is, of course, exclusive to Cote d'Ivoire. It's something that is quite a trend, you know, on the African continent. We've seen um, a number of cases. Burundi comes into mind. Uh, Zimbabwe, for example, is also similar, you know. How do we begin to sort of deal with this issue of uh, power clinging, lack of a better term? Firstly, Zikona, we have to, to recognize that a government cannot be the referee and player at the same time. 
And sometimes those situations where government and the judiciary, the lines are blurred, and the government is too strong and too powerful over the judiciary. You can't expect such a government to be able to prosecute itself. There was political analyst Professor Diniko Malulege speaking to Zikonamiso. A world that remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. 1716 Central African Time, you're still listening to Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa as we give you news from an African perspective. Now, the president of Zambia, Edgar Changwa Lungu, has expressed concern that very few people in Africa have access to power. Lungu says despite huge resources, only 600 million people are enjoying the use of electricity on the continent. Hilda Kekelo reports. President Lungu was speaking when opening the 19th Congress of the Association of Power Utilities of Africa, APOA, in Livingston yesterday. He said affordable and reliable power underpins every aspect of social and economic development, but it is disappointing that despite vast water bodies where electricity can be generated, only a few can afford the resource in Africa. President Lungo said it will be difficult for African countries to attain sustainable growth without universal access to electricity. He stated that Africa is a perfect place and platform to discuss energy and climate change as the continent offers the best solution to energy deficiency, climate change and underdevelopment. Without universal access to quality and adequate energy, it will be difficult for countries to attain the much craved for sustainable growth. Without universal access to electricity, I can assure you that food, education, and health will be far, far, far from being accessed affordably by our people. Time has therefore come for us to drive a viable energy agenda mix, which should include solar, wind, hydro, geothermal, and coal, and fossil fuel power generation to light up Africa, and adequately meet our domestic and industrial needs and aspirations. And Standard Chartered Bank has revealed plans to invest over $5 billion U.S. dollars for energy sector development in Africa. Managing Director Andrew Kai says electricity is a key factor in economic development and as such the bank is supporting renewable energy projects in West, North and Southern Africa. In this new investment, it will partner with power utilities for the improvement of the energy sector on the continent. The cost of addressing the power deficit is definitely immense and Sabachara Bank remains committed to building sustainable partnerships in the power and energy sector, and in this we are privileged to be joining ZESCO, welcome you here. Of particular note is also the investment of 5 billion into the power Africa. We are the first bank to respond to uh, uh, President Obama's call 
to finance power generation and distribution in Africa, which we committed $5 billion. Through this uh, $5 billion investment, uh, investment, we have collateral estimate that will support the delivery of about 7,500 megawatts of power in Africa. I'd like to uh, give an example of some of the power deals in Africa, which include in Nigeria, the Azura Edo power project and the Okija power project. In Ghana, the 100 OCTP Sankoba gas delivery to power sector. And of course in Zambia, we've also been able to tap into the power Africa. We have invested $57 million in terms of equity into the CEC. We've also supported uh, ZESCO with a facility of $60 million um, to increase the capacity to transmit power to more households. And for this, we are proud that 15,000 more connections have been made. Meanwhile, incoming APUA President Victor Mundende says the association plans to promote the development of an integrated African power sector by encouraging the continent's power utilities and stakeholders to work together. He says utility companies are faced with various challenges such as insufficient capacity, erratic supply and aged infrastructure. As African utilities, we have the capacity, potential and ability to transform the abundant African resources into engines of growth for the African economy. As incoming president of APOA, I take this opportunity to outline specific areas aligned with the Congress team that we hope to focus on. Number one, African regional power pools and interconnections of grids between countries to facilitate uh, power trading. There are five regional uh, power pools in Africa, Excellency. We have one in the northern, the northern uh, power pool. West Africa, West African Powerful, Eastern African Powerful, Central African Powerful, and the Southern African Powerful. So we need to integrate all these two interconnections. Application of renewable energies, promotion of energy mix, and ensuring re resilience of power systems. Energy efficiency to foster sustainability. Rural electrification to ensure increased access to electricity. Attracting investments to finance much-needed infrastructure, knowledge exchange, to liberate various pools of local uh, knowledge. The three-day conference is being held under the theme supporting emerging economies of Africa through sustainable energy development. Reporting for Channel Africa from Livingston in Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. 1722 Central African Time. The United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs says the security situation in the Tanganyika province in southeastern DRC is still dangerous and doesn't allow internally displaced people to go back home. More than 500,000 people have fled their villages due to ethnic-related violence between rival militias composed of the Luba, a Bantu people, and Atwa, a Pygmy tribe indigenous to several Great Lakes states. OCHA is now working with DRC authorities to ensure that people can go back to a safer environment. Jean-Noël Bamwenza reports. 
Last February, a peace forum was held in Kalemia, the capital city of the Tanganyika province, in order to try and bring both the Luba and the Tua people together, and this was a success. Continuing military activities are also organized in that province of the Southeastern Democratic Republic of Congo in the very same way by both the UN mission here and this country's national army, the armed forces of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Both activities have succeeded in checking the violence in some parts of the Tanganyika province, but in others, the rival Luba and Tua militias continue to attack each other, and that's why the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs believes it's not yet possible for internally displaced people to go back home. Yvonne Edumo is Ocha spokesperson here. The situation in the area is still fragile. There may have been some areas where fighting has reduced, has lessened, but overall the, the province remains a concern. So today what we're doing is working with Congolese authorities to ensure that people go back because they want to go back and the environment in which they're going back to is safe for them to resume their lives. It won't be a good thing to push people to go back and only to have have them be displaced again a few days or a few weeks later because there's still insecurity in the area. The Tanganyika province has recorded what the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs describes as the strongest growth of internally displaced people. The number has gone from 370,000 last December to more than 543,000 this year. About 240,000 of them are currently living in camps and host communities in the Kalemia territory. Ocha spokesperson Yvonne Edumo has emphasized the impossibility for them to return home, although their humanitarian situation is a serious concern. The situation in the Tanganyika province is a concern, and uh, Tanganyika is an area where we're keeping a very close eye. We have teams on the ground as usual to try to bring whatever we can to the people who are displaced place most of them displaced from the past uh, year or so due to the ethnic violence between communities and that's the main source of displacement people have lost uh, their lives they've lost homes they've lost uh, crops they've lost uh, farm animals our view is that people who've been displaced can't be they have to decide when they want to go back if they want to go back being displaced is a feeling that you have uh, the feeling of insecurity is not something that can be given or you are told that you are now secure or insecure. The deadly conflict between the Luba and the Tua people began in May 2013 and started forcing people outside their villages. Most of people are divided on whether those internally displaced people should now go back home or not. But when can they return home and leave the camp's life behind? The UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs relies on the international law and once more, OCHA spokesperson Yvonne Edumo believes displaced people do not have to be forced since the only condition remains general safety. People who are displaced, they want to go back when there is general safety throughout the province and when the people themselves feel and want to go back. People who are displaced don't want to be displaced, they want to go back. We shouldn't be worried about people staying too long for whatever reason. And if they can go back, they will go back. So, unfortunately, we can't push them to go back. We can inform them, give them the right information, and we can give them the benefits and the advantages of going back. But ultimately, if a displaced person 
doesn't want to go back. We can't force him to go back. And that's actually in the international law. We do agree that it is the best situation for people to go back to their lives and resume their activity because being displaced is not something that you want to do for a long time. But the law says that people shouldn't be forced to go back. With massive displacements in areas such as the Kasai region in this country's center, the North and South Kivu provinces in the East and the Tanganyika province, the Democratic Republic of Congo has recorded 3.7 million of internally displaced people and has become a country with the highest number in Africa. Channel Africa Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. You are still listening to Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa as we give you news from an African perspective. In the wake of the National Mental Illness Awareness Month this month in South Africa, some experts have warned that the National Health Insurance won't offer a quick fix to the country's mental health care crisis. Since the system is fraught with challenges, the Health Minister, Dr. Aaron Motswaledi, recently launched the NHI White Paper, which aims to deliver universal health care access to all South African citizens. We'll have more details about that later in the program. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa, and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. It is now time for your news headlines. Yes, one, Lenzinzi. The Kenyan Defense Force has rescued six Kenyans abducted by suspected Al-Shabaab militants in Lamu. South Sudan's government sacked a dozen judges who had been on strike for the past two months. And women in northern Uganda who have borne the brunt of a 20-year war now need full access to justice and their basic rights for society to make a full recovery. Channel Africa News, I am Onelens Insi. Thank you very much, Onele. You are still listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we give you news from an African perspective. 
And if you want to find us on Twitter, we are on Channel Africa One. You can also send us emails on info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. My name is Spumele Lezondi. I'm with you until 1800 hours Central African time. Now, the Southern African Transport Conference has ended in South Africa's capital, Pretoria. The meeting has heard that there are negative perceptions of the country's public transport as it is considered to be unsafe, unreliable and and unaffordable. Delegates met for four days to deliberate transport industry issues in the Southern African region. For a wrap of the meeting, we're now joined on the line by Professor James Maina, Chairman of the Organizing Committee of the Southern African Transport Conference. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, Professor. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm all right. Um, now, Prof, if you can start by telling us um, why you think there are these negative perceptions about the country's public transport industry. Um, I, I think it is because of the, first of all, of the um, expectations by the public. Because remember, um, with public transport, you've got uh, the objectives and expectations. So if those are not met, you will always have um, negative perception. Mm. Um, and would you know what those objectives are? Yes, um, so, um, normally, and that is very general, and this is true um, for anywhere in the world, for public transport, you'll have, for public transport to work well, uh, it has to meet some social um, expectations, economic expectations, and also environmental expectations. So if you look at social, for example, uh, you need to improve the quality. Of, it has to contribute to the improvement of quality of life of the citizens, of the users. You have to reduce the number of cars, alleviate traffic congestion, um, in, improve community cohesion. You get people to travel together, uh, make it accessible um, transport for people regardless of income or age. Um, so these will be for social, for example. If you look at economic, then um, it has to enhance personal mobility, gives freedom of movement to people, um, improve um, their chances of access to job opportunities, and, and also remember normally when, when public transport, in general, from a number of studies, 87% of public transport, transit trips um, correlated to economy in one way or another. Mm. So there is that very big um, contribution to the economy. So if, if all of these are not met, always uh, there will be challenges. And for uh, if I can just add for environment, for example, if you alleviate traffic congestion, definitely you will reduce carbon dioxide uh, footprint. Um, and, and these are the things that people expect when they see uh, you have a pub good running uh, public transport, they expect all of these to be clear and visible to them. Mm. Um, you speak of socioeconomics um, as well, uh, Professor. And yes. in South Africa, you'd find that um, there is the Khao train, for example. Nowadays, there's the Uber, um, which is um, often seen as public transport for the middle class so to um, uh, to rich uh, people and then you have the minibus taxis and uh, and different bus companies as well providing their own did you uh, put those under the spotlights and why there seems to be uh, divisions between different modes of public transport and who different modes are targeted to 
I, I think um, if, you, if you look at, for example, Uber, it, it, it was just an opportunity that arose because of uh, the vacuum that was created. Yes. Because of the lack of well-functioning uh, public transport. And also because of now uh, tech, the use of technology. So with all of those, then I think that is where Uber found the space that they could work in. But I believe if if the whole transport community works together with the government, with uh, all the uh, um, stakeholders, I'm sure there will be room for everybody. Mm. And uh, did you put that under the sports site? Did you discuss those divisions? Because, for example, we do know that in Johannesburg, when the Ria Via buses came in, um, they were attacked by the minibus taxi industry. Um, at the moment, we constantly hear of attacks on um, Uber drivers by um, other meter taxi drivers. Uh, did you discuss that and those divisions within the industry? And and also, um, the I suppose, the non-acceptance of um, new players and change when it comes comes into the public uh, transport industry? This was the first thing that uh, the Minister of Transport, uh, Minister Joe Maswangani, um, highlighted in his opening speech. And, and he called upon the whole um, transport community to work with the government and help the taxi industry. Because it, um, in his opinion, he thought, um, if you level the um, playing ground, so if you bring, if you, by the um, traffic uh, transport community working with the government and assist and work with um, the taxi industry and help to digitize the industry, uh, he expects that the leveling, um, this will level the, uh, the playground. Ah, but um, Professor, do you not then think that things become unfair there? Because if I have an innovation like Uber has come with an app, for example, that's their innovation. Um, yeah. And that innovation makes me more popular than other players. And then you suddenly say, well, I need to help others to digitize as well, um, which means now you are taking money that would have been coming to me. And you are saying that I need to um, help somebody else do what they didn't do uh, where I had seen a gap in the market. No, but um, it, that is one way of looking at it. But if you look at it in a positive way, it is an opportunity that the government sees in now bringing the, the whole public transport to a wider um, society. So like you said in your opening statement that Uber is more um, available to the middle class. How about the rest of the, of the society? Yes. So that is where then uh, with the help of the government, then you want to make um, the public transport also available to a wider community by making use and taking advantage of uh, technology. Mm. Um, uh, Professor Maina, would you say that overall the meeting was a success? It was a very big success. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking to all the participants, um, everybody went away feeling that they really need to do more and uh, there's a lot that, although there are challenges, but there is hope. There's light, um, light at the end of the tunnel. And the other thing that we've started doing is we've started bringing in um, much younger people. We've started uh, bringing in students. We've introduced um, essay for students, and they compete. They write essays. We, we've got a panel that goes, uh, goes through the essays, and they select are the better ones. 
and then we give them opportunity to come in and do presentations also to the delegates. So by by doing this, then you start also bringing on board the young generation. And we, we, we were so excited to see the, some of the ideas that they came up with. Most of them were to use, uh, making use and taking advantage of, uh, of technology. Yes. So that is very, very exciting. All right. Professor James Miner, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Professor James Miner there is the chairman of the organizing committee of the Southern African Transports Conference. A world that remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. 1739 Central African Time. Now let's go back to this. In the wake of the National Mental Illness Awareness Month this month in the in South Africa, some experts have warned that the national health insurance won't offer a quick fix to the country's mental health care crisis since the system is fraught with challenges. The health minister, Dr. Aaron Mutswaledi, recently launched the NHI White Paper, which aims to deliver universal health care access to all South African residential citizens with a single fund to cover all people, no matter their income. However, Shokat Makjenker, a mental health portfolio manager at Pharma Dynamics, a pharmaceutical firm, says the scheme should be implemented with caution. Makjenker elaborates. You know, we just look at the most recent, and I'm talking about mental health care specifically, one of the most recent incidents that took place, where the life is at a many tragedy, where more than a thousand mentally ill patients were displaced and more than a hundred died because they were moved to various other facilities only because those facilities couldn't take care of those kind of patients. You look at the number of beds that were reduced in hospitals in the last couple of years, it has happened drastically. The amount of doctors per patient has to be increased and it's not. So at the moment, it looks like we're sitting in this crisis. Now, according to South Africa's stress and health study done in 2004, more than 16% of adults are dealing with some form of mental health disorder, while about 30% are likely to suffer from a mental disorder over the course of their lifetime. Do we know where the figures stand today, 13 years on? There were surveys done in 2017, and it hasn't changed that much. So what they've done now, they've broken it down into bipolar and depression. So they're saying that about 82% of people actually feel quite deeply depressed at some stage in their life, whereas still between 25 and 30 overall will suffer from some sort of mental health disorder. So, you know, it depends how you look at the stats, but in all, on average, it's about 30%. What's wrong with the existing mental health system in the way that it deals with issues of mental health? The one thing I think is still the, the stigma attached to mental health is still quite significant. If you see what happens in the workplace or you see what happens in communities, as soon as you bring up the word depression, it's not taken in the same, firstly, it's not taken in the same light as a chronic disease like diabetes or cardiovascular disease. And then secondly, it's still quite taboo with the stigma attached to it. So we need to overcome those. And from pharma dynamics, that's what we're trying to do with our Let's Talk Mental Health 
he's trying to break that stigma to say, listen, it's okay to talk about it. And I think the more that we can talk about it, the more we can overcome these stigmas and the more people can get help to reduce these stats. Apart from stigma, let's touch on the issue of trained mental health professionals. Does the country have enough of those? Excellent question. No, we don't. If we compare ourselves to a developing country like Argentina, for example, for every 100,000 people, we have 1.5 psychosocial providers that include your psychiatrist, your psychologist, and so forth. Argentina has 13 psychosocial providers to every 100,000. So we're definitely understaffed when it comes to providing mental health care in South Africa. How can we use the NHI to better mental health care services, in your view? I think we should start at the ground level. We should start at primary care level, where the right people are trained, where the right psychologists are trained, and the right primary care doctors are trained to recognize and at least get the first steps of treatment in to able to assist these patients before they move on to the next level would be at your psychiatry and your hospital level. I think if we can get that right from the start, then we're off to a better future. What do you think is the biggest challenge that you face in the promotion of mental health as a critical part of overall wellness? Yes, definitely. It has been a challenge and it's been a good challenge because we feel that we've been making progress. We've launched our Let's Talk Mental Health. We've provided a helpline with trained counsellors from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. for anyone who wants to call. So there's no cost included. We've jumped in there and we get our hands dirty in trying to assist patients who can't immediately get to a primary care service. Just an example, if you look at the suicide stats, an estimated 230 people try to commit suicide on a daily basis while 23 succeed. So we think to those people, phone our helpline on 0800 20 50 26. Chat to a trained counsellor. Let's try to reduce these stats. What will be the implications of not reforming South Africa's mental health care system to deal with the challenges that you've been talking about that face mental health in general? I think people should stop looking at mental health alone, isolated. One needs to look at it in terms of the increasing costs to other physical health care, heart failure, stroke, diabetes, hypertension. And I think once you see the link between mental health and these other primary care diseases, we'll be able to assist better. It is now 17.45 Central African time. We just heard from Shukat Mukjankar, Mental Health Portfolio Manager for Pharma Dynamics in South Africa, talking to Elizabeth Lidega. At 17.45, let's get our economic news. In your economics news right now, South Africa's finance minister, Malusi Gigaba, has announced a short-term action plan aimed to boost business and consumer confidence in the economy. Gigaba has been announcing a 14-point blueprint for economic recovery at the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. He says the plan is aimed at staving off further downgrades and uh, putting the country onto a growth path. Gigaba says the action will be coordinated by the president and be implemented by various ministers to ensure that all targets are achieved on set time frames. But we have made a commitment that we would develop this action plan. We would then make it public so that Everybody knows this is what we have committed to by which time. It may not be a perfect plan, but it's detailed enough 
to inspire confidence and demonstrate an action-oriented mindset and intervention on our part. Rosneft is preparing to open an office in Mozambique. This is a further sign that the Russian oil measure is eyeing oil and gas deals in Africa. Mozambique expects to sign an agreement on the development terms of blocks that Rosneft and ExxonMobil were awarded in 2015. Mozambique awarded Rosneft and ExxonMobil three contract areas in the Angosha Basin as well as the Zambezi Delta. Mozambique, which has been in the throes of a debt crisis, has largely untapped natural gas reserves and has historically had close ties with Russia. And an integrated public transport system in South Africa that links the cities with rural areas is at the heart of the 2015 National Transport Master Plan. Although Transport Minister Joe Maswangani admitted that the bus rapid transport systems in Gauteng province is a failure, he insists public transport is the way for the future. That was the message at the Southern African Transport Conference in Pretoria. The four-day conference comes to an end Thursday. Chairperson of the organizing committee of the conference, James Maina, says an integrated public transport system can help grow the economy. If you have streamlined um, schedules of buses, um, trains, um, buses can be BRT, minibus, um, taxis, etc., so that you minimize the waiting time from one mode to the other, you in a way effectively increase the productive time that people can um, spend either at work or while traveling. If you look at um, the environmental point of view, if you have got well-running, smoothly running, um, well-scheduled public transport, there will not be uh, a need for people to continue using the uh, private vehicles. So you reduce congestion, you reduce pollution, you reduce carbon footprint. In Kenya, Australia's base resources expect uh, its eliminate output in the country to fall by 14% this financial year, but does not foresee disruption in the run-up to the next month's national election. Base resources uh, says uh, output for the commodity, which is ma- used to mine titanium dioxide production and used as a base pigment in paint, paper and plastics, will be between 400 and 430,000 tons in the year to June 30th, 2018. And Egypt expect to produce 2.3 million tons of beet and cane sugar during this year's harvest and aims to import less than last year's amount of 800,000 tons. The country last year faced a severe sugar shortage that led to public outrage and the government seizing stocks, confiscating supplies from businesses it accused of holding as prices shot up. Financial indicators, the dollar trading at 13.37, South African rent 10.25, Botswana Bula and 8.86 Zambian Kwacha, also trading at 0.77 to the British pound and 0.87 against the euro. The commodities market, gold $1,223, uh, platinum $915 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil at $47.65 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. Thanks for signing in. time for your sports news.
Good evening, sports fans. I am Usibu Dimakura with your latest sports news at the Sour. Starting off with football news, Bafana Bafana midfielder Lethokonono Masilesa has withdrawn from the squad to face Botswana in the 2018 African Nations Championship qualifiers. Now, Masilesa was initially not available for the clash as he was contracted to an overseas club, but he has since been released from the contract and became available to play in the Chan qualifiers. But the rules of the tournament state that only players plying their trade in the domestic league are eligible to play. With Masilesa not on the books of any local club, he is unable to be part of the Bafana Bafana squad. Defender Mario Boyson will wear the captain's armband in the absence of Masilesa. Bafana Bafana will face the Zebras on Saturday at Francis Town Stadium in Botswana with kickoff set for 3 p.m. Central African time. Now the second leg will be played a week later on the 22nd of July at the Murling Stadium in the northwest province. Meanwhile, former South African Premiership side Free State Stars head coach Sarah Melitzoka has refuted media reports that have been linking him to Kaza Chiefs as the first assistant coach to Steve Kompela. The former SAFA technical director is currently in Swaziland conducting a coaching course as a FIFA instructor and he says he will be at the CAF Football Symposium in Morocco next week. Uh, FIFA has assigned me to do a youth coaching course uh, in uh, uh, Swaziland. I am here in Swaziland for that particular mission and the mission will be ending uh, this uh, uh, Saturday. I'll be back in the country but I have also been invited to a big symposium that will be discussing football in Africa uh, in Morocco and um, that symposium will be starting on Monday next week. Uh, that will be where I will be going next. On to tennis news, Gabin Muguruza defeated Magdalena Rebarikova 6-1-6-1 in the women's first semi-final to earn her second Wimbledon final appearance. It was a dominant performance from the 2015 French Open champion and of course she was delighted with her performance. Thank you much, you know, she's a very talented player and she... She was playing very good during the tournament and I think today I stepped up on the court super confident and everything went well. Once you're in these situations, you know how to handle these matches better. And in my case, you know, I was more prepared than the first time I played, so definitely, yeah. And finally, South Africa's under-21 netball team's dream of finishing in the top four of the ongoing Netball World Youth Cup were dashed after they were thrashed 69-32 by defending champions New Zealand earlier today. The baby Proteus will now play Uganda in the fifth to eighth place semi-final on Friday. Here is baby Proteus assistant coach Dumisani Chauge. Today's game against New Zealand was really tough. Um, we had a game plan but we struggled to stick to it. We also struggled to um, score from our own center passes and that really made life um, difficult for us because already from the onset we were chasing um, right until the end. New Zealand came out very strong and they were well prepared for the game and they knew exactly what it is that they were going to do. For those are sports news at the Sour, stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest.
Let's recap our top stories. The political comeback of Senegal's former president, described as a ploy to get his son ascend to the presidency. OCHA says the security situation in the southeastern DRC is still dangerous. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Spumelele, Zondi producer, Luanda, Mahomet, technical producer, Wiseman, Mangaile, and the rest of the team. Thanks for listening. Send us emails. Info at channelafrica.co.za. On SMS, plus 27-796-957-930. Plus 27-796-957-930. Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. We leave you with If by David O and R. Kelly. My house is my cause, it's the remix king. David O. Kills. Haters, look what you've done. If I tell you, say I love you, oh. My money, my body, now your own, oh, baby. Party billion for the account, yo. Versace and Gucci. For your body, oh baby. No do, no do, no do. Gotta, gotta for me. No do, no do, no do. Said I don't. No do, no do, no do. Shut it out, No do, no do, no do. Gotta, gotta for you. Quit playing with him. Remix, stop it all. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, do, 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 do. My number one in two, two. Sipping bruku, two, two. For your love, it's too I go to you, to go to go. Because I'm not you. Say you do me, Juju. Cause I'm feeling the Juju. Shake it to you. I wanna dash it to you. You can have it to you. You know I got this to you. I love you, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. There's nothing above you. There's nothing above you, above you, above you. If I give you all my money, give you all my time, give you all my love, girl, would you be mine or mine? Take you around the world. If I make you my girl, would you be, would you be there for me? Girl, would you, girl, would you care for me? You come running for my needs on the double Better bail me out when a nigga get in trouble Give me that loving wherever we are Poke, 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 poke in the back of my car And if we could get high If we could get high If we roll it up and then smoke it up Till we kiss the sky Ooh, you made me want to say I wanna touch you, baby, oh mm. Love you, baby, oh mm. Kiss you, baby, oh mm. Freak you, baby If I tell you that I want you more Wanna hit it to the remix, oh-oh-oh oh, oh. Baby, would you give me full control? Would you green like me, just let me go I give you sex, never known before Brace yourself, girl, cause I'm dangerous Might be bragging, but I back it up So come try me, try me Girl, you, girl, you, girl, you won't regret What I give you, love like no other lover This remix for you Remix Girl, would you want your body, body Girl, would you want your body, body If I, if I play this remix, remix for you, for you. Girl, would you want your body, body Would you want your body, body If I tell you, say I love you, oh. If I tell you, girl 
money, my body, now your own. Oh, my money, my body, oh, babe. billion for the account, yo. Versace and Gucci for your body, oh, baby. Oh, 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 oh,